The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. In podcasting, always two there are, a master and an apprentice, providing pathways to various sorts of commentary some of them considered to be unnatural. This is Totally Super, Star Wars Welcome edition. to, oh, huh, sorry, welcome to Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And today we are, um, you know, it's, it's a comic book. It's been a number of comic book series. Certainly there have been as many versions of comic book series of what we're about to talk about today as there have been almost of like the Hulk um, or Aquaman. Uh, there have been infinite comic books. It's about characters who do heroic things that have superpowers. So I would <laughs> dare say that that as much as Batman, Star Wars is a superhero movie. Ultimately, what makes Star Wars less of a superhero movie than Guardians of the Galaxy? Seriously, there have been uh, there have been there have been more issues of Star Wars comics than there have been issues of Guardians of the Galaxy. There have been there, there are more powers in Star Wars than there are Guardians of the Galaxy. There's more hand-to-hand combat. There's more laser blasting. I don't see how Star Wars is not a superhero movie. That's a hot take. I did not. Pr- I did not bring up before we started the show. What's your take? Uh, my take is by I see that reasoning. Uh, by that same reasoning, Lord of the Rings is a superhero film. Like something where people with, if you go with the definition of superhero as people with supernatural abilities doing heroic things, that casts a very very wide net. Um, there is a certain, and I couldn't, it would take more than a few sentences to describe, I think, what we just sort of subconsciously think of when we think the superhero genre. And I don't believe Star Wars falls into that. Uh, but again, that's a very vague, amorphous sort of thing at the back of my mind. Um, so I am comfortable calling it a superhero film if you want. I am also perfectly comfortable saying, um, what are we supposed to do? Not do a review of Star Wars? I I agree with you on both counts. I would say what separates Star Wars out from movies like Lord of the Rings is that Frodo never develops powers and and uh, Bilbo never develops powers and Harry Potter's powers are not that much more extraordinary than everyone around him. Um, what I think separates Star Wars out is that your main characters, especially in the original and sequel trilogy, your main characters have it's an origin story just like a spider-man story where they start out normal and they end up gaining a power that puts them you know their their power sheet their D sheet is like much more powerful than everyone around them if they are an online gamer they are the one that carries around all, all the noobs with them just so the noobs can get a bunch of you know experience points um I I absolutely feel like like it deserves to be there. But maybe the thing about Star Wars is that it is so many things. Um, after this discussion, some may say too many things. Um, that 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 superhero is certainly one thing that it is. Um, but I think you are correct in that it is it is not necessarily a superhero film. And frankly, probably Guardians of the Galaxy is also probably not a superhero film. 
Um, yeah, but... I think that one gets a pass because it exists so firmly in a superhero universe. Yeah. Uh, like in Guardians of the Galaxy, even though none of the Guardians wear capes, they interact with people who do. I think, and yeah, I think that's I think that's fair, and I think that, frankly, Marvel is trying to not just be a superhero universe, but is trying to be a universe where different kinds of stories can be told. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very multi-genre uh, thing. Yeah. So, uh, so Star Wars: uh, The Rise of Skywalker came out uh, on December 20th, 2019. We are recording this a little later than we intended. I think that the first thing we need to do, spent very briefly for the people who are listening as the show goes along. Uh, did you know that there's a podcast called Totally Super where we review every superhero movie ever made? Because it may have seemed to you that that podcast does not exist. Um, we have been... Uh, absolutely uh, swamped with everything going on. Holidays for the last three weeks, uh, the two of us have been like, okay, let's go. And then some random crazy thing happened. Uh, uh, You had something come up one week. I had something like, literally you were like, hey, let's do the show. And I'm like, I'm, things are crazy right now. Um, So uh, we thank you for your patience. We thank you for continuing to come back to listen to the show. Uh, We, it is going to be happening on a more regular basis. I know we continue to say that. We have very specific plans that we are talking back and forth on, on what the definition of a regular basis is. Um, but uh, rest assured, the show is not going anywhere. So thank you for being with us. Uh, for those of you who are confused because you just listened to uh, the last show and you don't understand why Star Wars is now and not the next thing, um, we will explain more of that uh, prior to the next episode, which is going to be Watchmen. So all of that being said, Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker, Wait, December uh, 20th, 2019 in the United States. Uh, they did not do many preview screenings except for the Hollywood premiere on December 16th, um, where the reviews were uh, were not allowed to be spoken of. And then the day that the movie came out, the reviews also started coming out, which were concerning. Um, And we're going to have to talk about that. Uh, The movie uh, has a budget of $275 million for those paying attention. That means that it needs to break even uh, a box office draw of $550 million. I think every movie that Star Wars puts out uh, for the next little bit must also keep in mind the $4 billion sale of the intellectual property of of Star Wars to Disney. So for the next little while, I'd like to also add an additional probably $200 million it needs to make in order to be considered to be breaking even because they had to pay just for the rights to make Star Wars, which means that it needs to make $750 million to break even. That's why Solo was considered to be such a uh, such a disaster, um, having brought in a worldwide gross of uh, only $392 million. So that means that this movie has to bring in right around, like I said, a cool $750 million right now. Its worldwide box office is $956 million. So while we will be talking about how it's doing compared to the other films, there is no way that any of the haters can say that this film is not successful. This film is making hundreds of millions of dollars in profit for Disney. It is very likely going to cross the uh, the billion dollar mark. That is not a, a disaster by any stretch of the imagination. It is it is hundreds of millions of dollars, and that can't be overstated. Um, it does need to make up for Solo, um, which you know, like I said, didn't even cross five hundred and and lost hundreds of millions of dollars. So. So to say that Star Wars is in a decline, I don't think is is really necessarily true. 
Um, well, and also you need the, to consider uh, that there, there's there's an additional factor that the movies, they perpetuate the world. Like, Disney's opportunity for making money from Star Wars is not just the movies. Mandalorian is off the charts in terms of people's excitement. Uh, the new Star Wars land opened, uh, and with the new ride that they had, Rise of the Resistance. Like, Disney World, like, Hollywood Studios at Disney World is so swamped. I work for Disney World. I, like, it's one thing for them to have blockout dates where I can't bring guests in with me with my comp tickets. Something that almost never happens is them saying, no, you actually cannot come to this park for free, um, even though you work for us. And I can't get into Hollywood Studios until the end of May this year. So, And like, let's be clear, that's how when he says, when you say you can't come into the park, you don't just mean you. They actually stopped allowing admissions into Disney World, into the Magic Kingdom, um, and part of that is because of all of the business coming to Disney World. Now, yes, Disney is uh, uh, Star Wars is at a different one of the parks, but the the draw that Star Wars has brought to Disney World as a whole is enormous. Um, uh, the Mandalorian, you're right, was the number one show in all of streaming for mm-hmm. like a month and a half. Um, yeah, I'm I'm uh, reasonably certain there's a lot of people who got Disney Plus for a month or two solely for the Mandalorian. Yeah, and and so to say that Star Wars is somehow You know, when we got to the end of Revenge of the Sith, you got the sense that, yeah, it did pretty well, but that the the shine was off of Star Wars by the end of the prequel trilogy for the um, for the general populace. Star Wars was considered, you know, considered to be back to being a fan only experience um, where, you know, yes, there was the Clone Wars, but the fans watched that. Yes, there were the books, but the fans did that. The general populace was not interested. The general populace is still interested in Star Wars at this point. Um, so that is a good thing because there was a real question after Solo. There was a real question of, oh, do people care anymore? Um, I think there is a resounding yes. So for anyone who wants to say that The Rise of Skywalker has been a disaster for Disney, um, it maybe did underperform compared to what they had hoped it would. Yes, it has made half as much money as The Force of Weekends. And yes, it has made less money so far than Rogue One. Um, it's made less money so far than The Last Jedi. It is, of the new era, the second lowest grossing film, which will also make a billion dollars. So so it is, you know, is there a decline? Is that something we can talk about? I think you have to talk about the effect of The Last Jedi on the rise of Skywalker because they are definitely a conversation. Um, well, which kind of leads into about yes, they, I mean it's yes, we do have to talk about it, and I need to come clean for a little bit here, just uh, not you know to the listeners as well as to you, my friend. I uh, mm-hmm. I have been dreading doing this podcast episode. Um, I <laughs> I did not and still do not want to talk about Rise of Skywalker, and let me explain why. I really really enjoyed it. I had a wonderful experience with the film. Um, it was the first time literally the first Star Wars film that my wife Kelly and I got to watch together for the first time. And the profound joy of of sharing that experience cannot be overstated. Uh, However, as I'm watching it, um, like Star Wars goes back to me, this is not like Marvel where, oh, I got really interested in Marvel like 10 years ago when I was already, you know, grown up and most of my personality was already put into place. Like Star Wars has been with me practically since infancy. It is a very, very precious thing to me. Um, I mean, our friendship began because you saw me reading a Star Wars novel. Absolutely. And I was just going to bring the, that up. 
And the thing about, uh, and, I, and I just sort of want to say this, this is just my own experience. I guess I'm sort of coming to realize, and I recognize the irony of me saying this when we are doing a podcast that is, that's entire purpose is to review movies. We also need to acknowledge that there are times when the more actual, like, thought I put into something or the more critical uh, knowledge we have of it, literally every interview that I saw before Rise of Skywalker, and I tried to avoid them, you just see the headlines, things about, oh, J.J. Abrams said he did this or this. Uh, Literally every conversation that you and I had, Justin, about Last Jedi, all of those things, they did not ruin the experience, far from it, but they diminished my experience of this film. Because there were times when I was watching the film and uh, there would be some kind of twist or some sort of thing that happened, and if it were, ju- if I were just watching that film in sort of the vacuum of my own experience, I would have thought, oh, cool, I see what they did there. Uh, you know, like the, the whole Palpatine reveal, the whole daughter of Pal- Palpatine reveal. Had I known nothing about sort of the overall meta zeitgeist of the Star Wars universe, I would have thought thought, oh, okay, in film two, they did a twist and saying, oh, your parents were nobodies. And then in film three, they did a, you know, they did a reverse twist and saying, oh, actually, they just became nobodies because of this. Had I known nothing outside of the films, that's what I would have thought. But instead, all I could see in that moment was, well, I guess J.J. really needed to course correct because I knew, and, you know, it's not like I've talked to J.J. Abrams, but just from reading, uh, reading commentary. But, but we know he's a listener and J.J., thank you so much for listening yeah, thank to you us so much. every we, day. We appreciate you um please stop you know, coming like to, to my house um yeah, yeah please fine. Re- re- reread my resume i think i'd be a very good addition to star trek but anyway moving on um to star trek so interesting yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so the so of course we're going to talk about it right now, and it's not that. And of course I'm not saying that you know reviewing films, talking about them critically, is a bad thing. It's just in much the same way that Tim Gunn, who is like one of the most beloved gurus of the fashion world, uh, he said in an interview, he said, at some point you have to acknowledge that literally everything we do for fashion is meaningless. Like fashion, in one sense, is a completely meaningless industry. And he but then he said, once you acknowledge that, okay, let's talk about fashion. Uh, It's still something that everyone loves. In the same way, it is important to acknowledge sometimes you just need to be allowed to experience a story for exactly what it is, and if it moves you, that's amazing, and literally, that story can go against every rule of good storytelling that you know. The entire world around you can say it's terrible. At the end of the day, none of that matters. It's all just about your experience with it. Uh, So that's just what I wanted to get off my chest before we go into this here, because I will probably be say- I will probably be saying more than a few you know there were plenty of flaws in this film that I'm sure we're going to be talking about uh, but I don't believe my rating is going to in any way reflect what we're talking about. I, I think that, I mean, thank you for that. And I think that to, to springboard off of that, the other issue I think that we have right now is as a facet of our society, whether it's political, whether it's the, the, the strength and courage of the anonymous keyboard warrior, whether it's the ability to say whatever you want in a crowded Facebook room and the way to acknowledge or to get acknowledgement, the Pavlovian response that you get um, to an extreme version of what you say versus a mild version of what you say. If you if you say, hey, I just saw Star Wars. It was pretty good. Uh, no one uh, reacts. Um, but mm-hmm. if you say I hated it or I loved it, 
Um, well, then certainly people have things to say. Uh, and that, look, I'm guilty of that. Arthur joked one time that my least favorite word in the world is fine. That if he ever really wanted to mess with me, he, he, he actually said these words as we were sitting down at a, uh, at, at, at a diner. He said, I figured out how to mess with you. I, you asked me how something is and I go, it was fine. Then I, of course, will turn around and say, and say, well, why didn't you hate it? What, what, what was wrong with it? Oh, nothing's wrong with it. It was fine. So you really liked it? It was fine. Because this, I, I, I can't, we've also I can't said this, argue with you. This also applies to I, Firefly fans. Yeah. Um, just just uh, call really Firefly pretty lately good. kind of fans of anything. Like it's like it's either you must love it and defend it to your dying breath or you must hate it and stomp all over it. Um, no, you're totally right. It's everything's become polarized, uh, not just yeah, in terms I think of there, that, that it is. Abs- and I think that the problem is, is that that for a movie to just be pretty good is not enough. Now, I will not give up yet whether or not I think this movie is pretty good, great or terrible. Um, that will come out over the course of the show. But um, but there's a disconnect. I just want to when we look talk about the reviews, the reviews for Star Wars: The Last Jedi has a 91 percent fresh tomato meter. The critics adored it, just like this is the greatest thing ever. 91 percent is amazing. It has a 43 percent audience score, where the audience is like. F this movie. This movie sucks. It means that over half of the people who've had anything to say about uh, The Last Jedi said that it sucked. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker has a 53% critic score, which means that over half of critics said, you know what? Not any good. Don't go see this movie. We do not recommend this movie over half of critics. The audience score for this movie is 86%, which means it's almost as it's a it's like a total flip-flop of The Last Jedi. That's interesting. Audiences are I mean, it's worth- by and large loving the film, but critical audiences, podcasts, critics, people who sit around and think about movies the way that you just described, um, are are not enjoying the film. Their enjoyment of the film, it sounds like, was diminished by their by what was diminished by their need to think about it critically whereas average joe you know moviegoer walked walked out and just had an experience um whereas the last jedi average moviegoer was like this is not really what i was looking for but the people who thought about it critically you know go but don't you understand the art of it um and and so it's interesting that there is an absolute flip-flop on who liked and who did not like The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, which I find very interesting. Let me ask that you this question. That is very interesting. Sure. This question to start. What is your feeling about The Last Jedi two years in? Two years in? Um, my feeling about it is... All right, let me preface this. Because uh, I've realized this. I, I Watching Rise of Skywalker and thinking about it got me thinking about just a concept for... Uh, there are v- various layers for how you can... And watch a film. Uh, we've had a conversation before about can you judge or is it proper to judge a film in a series on its own merits or based on how it's connected to the past films or what it does for future films like can a current film go back in time and make a previous film in the series worse for example uh to me there are three layers of experiencing a film the first is experiencing and uh reviewing the film just on its own literally as its own entire microcosm with no connections to anything outside that's layer one the second layer is how it connects to any other films in that universe or series uh so in this case that would absolutely involve considering rise of skywalker 
Skywalker in the terms of how it relates to Last Jedi and Force Awakens, and even, you know, the previous episodes before that. And then, and then the third layer of reviewing a film is from a meta-knowledge of everything happening in the real world that went into that film. Uh, you know, so case... And that can... I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. Frequently... Knowing those things is what diminishes it. Uh, however, knowing that uh, knowing that Carrie Fisher had passed away before they finished making this film made me think, oh, everything that they did in this film, I loved the way that they made use of what they had and still gave Leia this really very, very satisfying ending. Had I not known that Carrie Fisher had passed away, I would have thought that Leia had gotten totally shortchanged in terms of screen time. Um, so, going back to the question that you had, how does this? what is my thought on Last Jedi two years in? Um, on the first level of just considering that film as it is, I love Last Jedi. Uh, I think it does very bold things. Uh, I loved some of the sequences. I loved the acting. Uh, I loved the fact that the two ge- that the two generals who were having the most conversations were both women. All those things, um, and yet, and I will still defend. I will still defend Last Jedi in its place in the trilogy. I still maintain that Last Jedi is not a refutation of the first uh, of the first film, but just answering the questions in a way that we weren't expecting. That being said, I cannot forget the two years worth of conversations that I have had with you, that I've had with other people that have made me... Like, there's nothing in the world I would love to do more than just enjoy Last Jedi and ignore the completely valid uh, reasonings from friends about why it's not a great part of the series. Uh, But that is from those conversations, I cannot let go of those. So, it is still positive. I can't wait to show that film as part of the series to my own kids, but there is uh, there are mixed thoughts about it now that did not exist when I walked out of that theater. When I walked out of Last Jedi, I, I loved it. I had Star Wars, so of course I love it. When I say my least favorite Star Wars is Episode 2, I will still watch it. Um, I love Star Wars. I love the music. I love the characters. I love the lightsabers. I, like, I love the space battles. I love the Force. I love, you know, there's so much about it that I love. So any opportunity, you know, it's like a burrito. Um, You know, I by no means think that Taco Bell is fine dining. But if you give me a Taco Bell burrito, I'm like, yeah, I love burritos. Um, Star Wars is my burrito. Um, I love it. Yeah. I love when when the music rises and and the the lasers flash and 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 C three PO is B and C three PO. I love it. I can't not love Star Wars, and for that reason, I love the Last Jedi because there's a lot of Star Wars in the Last Jedi. Ryan Johnson um, did all the subversion that you're talking about, all the things that piss people off. He did it on purpose, and there's a hubris when I watch Last Jedi that makes it a little distasteful for me. It doesn't look like other Star Wars movies, and that's on purpose. He wanted it to look different. It doesn't take the story beats that you thought it was taking. It answers the questions that were being set up um, and then goes a completely different direction. And, you know, in improv, there's a rule, and that rule is don't deny. And that doesn't just mean don't say no. It means don't deliberately go in the opposite direction of the person who is handing the scene off to you. Um, And when Luke throws the lightsaber over his shoulder, the part of me that has studied improv goes, goes, that's not what you do. When somebody says, clearly, it's the end 
of of the Force Awakens, it ruins the end of the Force Awakens for me, frankly, because the Force Awakens okay, ends. I'm, she's got this look on her face. The music is swelling. She's desperate. He's so concerned that she's shown up. It's this. It's it's a it's a wonderfully bold place to end that movie, and to undercut it is a little bit disrespectful to the artist who came before. Um, which is the way you would feel, you know, if somebody was doing an improv and saying, saying we're on a subway and he goes, no, we're not. We're in a spaceship. Like that's, that's just not, it's, it's not cool. Um, to do it with everything to set up, you know, you know, where does she come from to go? Who is she? Who is this girl? To ask that question 20 times overtly in the force awakens to have everyone go, who is she? She must be someone. And then to go, no, you're nobody. It's not like that was a little question people had. It was a big question that people had. Um, and for reasons like that, and you know, things like the fact that, that you have now introduced a maneuver where you can destroy an entire fleet with a single small ship, or you've taken all of the resistance, which was a, a fairly significant fighting force that had just lost the Republic, but fairly significant, and you whittle it down to 20 people. Um, I feel like when you're playing in a world like Star Wars, you're playing in somebody else's sandbox. And whatever you do while you're playing in the sandbox, you have a responsibility to put the pieces back the way that you found them, at least when it comes to the intention of the story. So the criticisms I'm going to have of The Last Jedi and probably of The Rise of Skywalker and probably of the trilogy is that Kathleen Kennedy, the owner of the sandbox, did not tell anybody, here's where things need to go. Do your best version of this. It would be as if Peter Jackson made Fellowship of the Ring based on Tolkien's book and then he handed it over to, I don't know, uh, Ryan Johnson to make the two towers and Ryan Johnson was like, well, I don't really want to follow the two towers. Let's do this completely different story and, and have it end in such a way. I don't know as a writer and you write and I write, I don't know where you go from everybody's abandoned the resistance. There are 20 people left. Um, what are we going to do now? I don't know how you go from that to a satisfying conclusion of a trilogy. Cause I don't think that the film knows its place as a second film in a trilogy. Um, so as a piece of art, I really appreciate the cinematography is the best Star Wars you've ever gotten, but it doesn't seem quite right. The turns in the moment were kind of interesting, but I, I walked the theater going, I, I really like what I saw and it was beautiful, but I don't know what it's going it, to, it maybe broke Star Wars a little bit. Um, you know, what's worth so noting. So the question that I'm uh, and we're going to talk about a lot of people who hate the rise of Skywalker hate that it seems to be such an overt refutation of the last Jedi, but what can you do but refute the last Jedi? If you're the guy who wrote rise of Skywalker and you're like, Hey, this is kind of where things are going, pick it up and you run mean force with it. awakens. And the person, instead of running with it, decided to throw do you, do you it mean the force awakens? field and bury it. What do you do? If you're that same guy who's like, but, 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 what, what, what are you doing? Um, you know, uh, so I, I think that's going to be the conversation we, we will need to have, but, um, what, what did we watch? What, what is the plot of this film? Did, uh, did you mean force awakens instead of rise of Skywalker there? I'm sorry. Did you mean force awakens? You said, you said the, um, what do you do if somebody who's written, if you're the writer of rise of Skywalker, I thought you meant. Yeah, I'm sorry. Force yes. Awakens. If you're the, if you're the writer yeah. for force awakens, what do you, yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have confused, confused guys. As you know, I drink a lot. Um, yeah. That being said, um, um, uh, that being said, I don't. Well, so here's the thing: the most of the time with these, we, you know, we're reviewing a film that we have watched first, like a while ago, and you know, and then rewatch. Uh, so I'm able to sit down, rewatch the film, and then immediately after write the plot. Um, 
or at the very least, I have access to a whole bunch of plot synopses or things like that. Um, this time, I it was it's been two weeks, and I'll be honest, there's a lot of twists and turns in this one that I do not remember exactly what happens. Um, so can it's I sort try? of can I try? I never get a chance to do it. Can I do it? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Like, please, I am begging oh, you. Boy. Please do go. the plot Here for this one. Well, I'm all okay. about it when we Here get we back to Watchmen. But damn, I, I I want I want you to remember. Everyone remember the reason that Arthur does the plot synopses was because of my crazy weird plot synopses but i am desperate for your crazy weird plot synopsis right now suffer um okay so the dead speak turns out palpatine was around all the time and he has built a huge army of the the new last order and kylo ren has found out and he sent out a, a message i guess he's gone on the radio and said hey i'm back so kylo ren's like oh yeah f that and he goes and finds him and he goes i'm gonna kill you and palpatine's like no no you're gonna follow me and he's like okay guess i will and then also you have the resistance who for reasons we don't understand have a whole new fleet of people and basically are also still a relatively okay fighting force they're on a place that looks like yavin 4 but is it not sure so they have been sending out poe and finn to go get information from a spy about what's going on and it turns out that palpatine's back and they find out about the army and they have a bunch of cool action stuff and they do this cool light speed skipping thing which is awesome and then they come back to the planet and ray's like well i gotta go find out where palpatine is there's a sith wayfinder that you need to find and that's what kylo ren used and we need to find the dagger that's going to tell us how to get there and so they go and it's lando and lando goes hey i know where you can find the dagger luke and i were looking for the dagger and we almost found it but then luke went away and i was like okay i guess i won't look anymore but we think it's over there and so they go and chewbacca dies and a ship blows up ah, haha just kidding chewbacca is still alive and so they find uh they they, they find the dagger and the dagger is going to lead them somewhere but they're going to need help so they go to this other place uh th- this other place because uh, C-3PO can't translate the dagger because it's against the rules. So they uh, so they go to this place where you can get it out of uh, C-3PO's brain and they do it and C-3PO's dead, but haha, just kidding. No, he's not. And they go back and they go, okay, we know where to go find the Sith Wayfinder. It's going to be on Endor, but you know, the the next to Endor, a different moon next to Endor where the the entire second Death Star blew up and was atomized except haha, no, it's not. It's actually in really big chunks and it's on this, this place. And so they look around and Ray is really really lucky because she stands right in the exact right place where she can look through the dagger like it's the staff of raw but there's no reason that she would be standing exactly in that spot but she does and she stands and she sees where it's going to be so they're like hey you got to be safe you know don't go over there by yourself and she's like cool yeah i won't go over over there by myself but then when they go to sleep she's like haha i'm gonna do it anyway and she goes over by herself and then she realizes that ah here's the wayfinder but there's a dark version of herself she's like oh no what's wrong with me i'm really dark i don't know what's going to happen and that's when suddenly kylo ren shows up and you're like oh is he in a a vision too but he's not he's real and they fight and they've been fighting all the time by the way going back and forth they're having lightsaber fights in two different places once it's awesome so then they fight and they fight and he's like don't you understand who you are your name is ray palpatine you're the granddaughter of the emperor who evidently had sex with someone at some point and that person was <laughs> your parent and now there's you and you have his power and she's like nah and he's like uh-huh and by the way I'm breaking your wayfinder break and they fight 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 and then he's about to beat her and Leia's like no I'm gonna distract him so she can stab him through the gut so so Leia uses her powers to distract him to stab him through the gut and she stabs him through the gut and he's like oh no and she's like I can force you to check out this new power I have and he goes boom and he's like oh thank you oh I think I might be good now and she leaves and 
and she's like, well, you, you, you're not so good that I'm going to take you with me. So you stay right here. And she takes off and Leia decides to hang around at least physically until she can make sure that her son's dead. And so, so she goes and she's going, I'm going to go find Palpatine and all the resistance. They're like, we're going to go find Palpatine too. And we're going to fight and people are going to come join us. And so they go and there's a big giant space battle. And she's like, she's like, Palpatine, I'm here and I'm going to kill you for everything you've done. He's like, no, you won't. I'm going to kill you instead and take your power by you killing me. And then I will become you. It's really complicated. And she's like, oh no. And there's no way that she can be Palpatine. But hey, hey, Ben Solo has been stuck in the rain, just kind of chilling out. And Han Solo comes up to him. And he's like, he's like, hey, son. And he's like, dad, I want to say I love you, but I don't know how to say I love you. And Han just looks at him and goes, I know, which means I love you and Han speak. So he's like, okay, I'm going to go change my shirt and put on a sweatshirt and I'm going to go fight. And he shows up and suddenly he's funny and he can fight and he grabs a lightsaber through the force, kills all the Knights of Ren. Who are they? No one cares. So they go back and they finally fight uh, Palpatine and Palpatine's like, ha ha, I'm going to destroy you just as I was destroyed by throwing him down a shaft where he was clearly not destroyed the first time. So he exactly did what he said. He was going to kill Kylo in the way that he was killed by not killing him throwing down a shaft kylo's fine where he's like ray i'm going to get you with my lightning boom and he's getting her with the lightning and she's like hey remember mace windu do when he killed you while he's blocking your lightning with a lightsaber i'm gonna do the same thing he's like oh no why didn't i remember that this is bad and he dies um he, he dies but not not before it takes all of her power to do it and then she's it's like the end of the scene of romeo and juliet with leonardo dicaprio where she's dead and he sees her and he uses the force to bring her back to life and they kiss because they're both alive but haha just kidding he is dead so he dies and leia's like oh good he's dead i can finally die all the way and she dies all the way and she comes back and there's a big celebration and then she goes out and she finds luke old luke's old house and says hey these two lightsabers i don't want them anymore so i'm gonna bury them in a place where it's like the most likely place that anybody would ever come look for them so i'm gonna put them here in the sand in case somebody needs them someday and then she has a yellow lightsaber and someone says hey yo what's your name she says skywalker bitch out <laughs> bravo sir bravo that uh that was one of the most fantastically manic pixie plot synopses i've ever heard in my life it was like this, oh god this, it was a this plot it, it synopsis was, brought had, to you the, by that guy in ant-man <laughs> yeah you had the seriously you had the uh with a little mixture of olaf uh you had the enthusiasm of like like a six-year-old will start talking about how cool a movie is like and then they did this and then they did this but a six-year-old will burn out after like 30 45 seconds you just went that was amazing that was amazing well done well thank done you. i'm giving you a slow thank clap you. thank you uh, thank you very much how did you see this film the first time you saw it uh i saw it opening night uh friday night and again with kelly uh which was just wonderful because like I, I was the one who grew up with star wars she didn't so much but she uh you know she's taken an interest in it as it's become part of the mainstream culture over the past 10 years uh it's it is really astonishing how many people that the more that they started pushing uh leia as like general organa um and really pushing her character that all of a sudden all these women who weren't that interested into star wars were suddenly like oh wow this is great i have something to relate to now i want to watch more of this it's a uh, you know just 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 a lesson worth noting I think. Um, and Kelly definitely falls into that category. Uh, and it was just wonderful to be able to, uh, to to be sitting with somebody who I love and share the experience. Like, you know, us both cheering at certain moments, us both weeping at certain moments. Like, it was great. It was it was just a it was a it was a wonderful journey. I was not able to get uh, IMAX tickets. Um, it, they sold out. I couldn't get like 
four seats together after two hours of this film going on sale. So I ended up seeing it in a kind of average uh, theater. Not being satisfied with that, I went downtown to Washington, D.C., uh, where I live right near Washington, D.C., and um, went to the Air and Space Museum and saw it there on their IMAX screen. Um, of course, there's fake IMAX, which is what all the movie theaters have, and then there's real IMAX, which is like the big like three-story three, like three screen. That was awesome, except for a jerk in line who got us all mad at each other. And then I also saw it in... The third time I saw it, I saw it in 40X, I love 40X. I would not see this for the first time in 40X because it is a little distracting. But once you've seen it a couple times and you want like a different experience, you want to do star tours for this movie, um, 40X is an awesome way to do it. So I have seen now, it. What is 40X? I intend to see. I'm sorry? What is 40X? 40X. I'm glad you asked. Um, every seat in the theater moves like star, like star tours. Um, so when you're going around, it kind of goes left and right and up and down. Um, at the same time, um, when there are uh, laser blasts or something like that, something going by your head, there's a little jet of air that comes behind you. <laughs> um, and you feel oh, that. Oh, wow. So it's when, like a straight uh, up, they've, they've theme stabbed, parked the movies. There's, uh, there's, I'm sorry? It's like they've theme parked the movies. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, when someone gets stabbed, there's just a little like uh, there's just a little stab in the back of your back of your back. You can sort of feel that happening. And the best thing about the whole thing is when there's an explosion, the entire theater lights up like bright lights just illuminate the whole theater for a second, like for one frame, um, which is really cool. Um, and then uh, the other great thing they have is they have very big, very quiet fans in the front of the theater. So when there's a big, a big like chase, you feel the wind in your face. Um, wow! It is a great experience. It's, it's like it's a little more expensive. It's like twenty two bucks a ticket. Um, as opposed to your normal like seventeen bucks a ticket, but for the extra five bucks, why not? Um, it is yeah. uh, absolutely a cool way to see a movie, and this movie in particular, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, that sounds like a great way to see a film a second time. Yeah, absolutely. I would not see it the first time that way. That's absolutely true. Um, uh, I, the night I saw opening night, a happy audience clapping, cheering. Everybody seemed really enthused by what they were seeing. Um, I will note that when I walked out of The Last Jedi, a, an enthused audience for the people who are enthused, but people were walking out. I heard them going, well, that was interesting. Like people were saying that as they walked out. I didn't get that sense at all from from this film at all, from the audience walking out. They were really, really into it. Um, so uh, so in terms of how we talk about the film, because uh, this is hard. Normally we go character by character. Uh, I think that there are so many characters and we already know them. I don't think there's... There's a huge, um, like, I don't think that anyone has a giant arc in this film other than Ben Solo, frankly. I think everyone what just kind some of does the, uh, what they do. What were some of the the big moments? that? Because this was, it was a grand adventure. Uh, very, very, it felt very much like Indiana Jones in a lot of moments uh, to it. And really what, what I noticed in adventures are sort of just like, what were the big, like, you know, the, the big scene pieces? Or what were the, you know, when you think back to the film, what are some of the things that jump out at you, either good or bad, over this, like, this thing, this thing here sticks out? Yeah, I think what I'd like to do first, if we can do our, like, our, our, our top five happy moments in the film, and then I think we do need to address the questions that have come up and the controversies that come up and whether or not they actually bother us because some do, some don't for me. But mm -hmm. in terms of the big moments that I loved, I can I can put them right out there. Um, number one, uh, Han saying, I know. Um, I mm -hmm. only realized it afterward. I actually started crying Ooh. on the way home when I was thinking about the film when when he goes, Dad, and he can't say anything, and Han says, I know. That yeah. means something coming from Han. Those two words mean something coming from Han. 
and it mattered so much to me to see the the even though it's just kind of in his mind um i don't think that's han through the force that's not a force ghost um it is still the reclamation of that relationship mattered to me mm-hmm. a lot so that was my number one do you have a number one um certainly i have a like a, there's five i can easily list um that that is certainly up there uh yeah just the fact that i was not exper- i was not expecting harrison ford i was not expecting han solo at all that entire conversation was just wonderful and certainly capped off by that fantastic i know um i would also like to give a shout out to and this is not just me feeling this lots of people that i've talked to about this have agreed to the hands down best moment of acting in the film done by a freaking space ape because chewie's grief at discovering that Leia had died, like just the scene of him sort of grieving and raging brought both Kelly and I to absolute tears. You get the sense that he's yelling, not everyone, not everyone. I can't lose everyone. Yeah, because that was, like, I, I hadn't realized that until later, but that but that it wasn't just that Leia died. That was the last, he is now like, with the exception of Lando, he's the last one from the original, the original yeah, journey. I, I absolutely got that sense too. Okay, I, uh, my number two, um, I'm going to say the look of the film. Um, the Last Jedi did a lot of beautiful things. It was a beautiful looking film, but they didn't look like Star Wars. Uh, the fight on the planet with the red and the white didn't look like Star Wars. Snoke's big red room didn't look like Star Wars. Um, uh, you know, even the the was it Octu the 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 planet there didn't look like Star Wars. Um, there was a lot of beauty to the film that did not seem like Star Wars. But there's a particular Star Wars ishness, and I can give you an example of it in Rogue One when they finally start fighting outside of the uh, outside of the shield in, in in that space battle that looks and feels like Star Wars to me. Um, There's something about it that just sings Star Wars. And I've got to give it to the decisions made, the visual decisions in this film felt like Star Wars, all of it. And and yes, there's an an element of, you know, you could be said, well, do something new, do something new. But you know what? That space battle was awesome. And I've never seen a hundred Star Destroyers with lightning flashing behind them, but that seems like an, uh, an, icon- like, like an iconic Star Wars image. Um, the lightsaber battles, uh, which I, I will come back to in a second, seemed like Star Wars. Being in the Death Star seemed like Star Wars. In the Falcon, um, all of it felt visually like Star Wars. I felt like I was back in my familiar universe, which frankly, um, Last Jedi did not look or feel like Star Wars most of the time. Uh, Solo did not look or feel like Star Wars most of the time deliberately because it was a different kind of story. Rogue One, except for that one bit in the last end of the movie uh, with that space battle and with Darth Vader showing up, didn't look or feel like Star Wars most of the time. Um, So to have a film that unabashedly was just like, you know what? You could just turn on this film for... 10 seconds and go, oh, this is Star Wars. This feels like Star Wars to me. So I want to give the look of the film um, my number two. What's your next? Okay, well, first, I got to say, first, I, I agree with you on that, with the look of the film. I understand exactly what you say when you say this had the feel of Star Wars. There is a certain je ne sais quoi to it. Um, I also, and this is purely me, this is just one of my own little trigger things. Like, I have heard so many people, like when Mandalorian came out or something like that, like so many people who hate on one aspect of Star Wars, doesn't need to be Last Jedi, just in general, 
general. But then they see something they love and they're finally like, finally, see, this is Star Wars. And so on the one hand, I totally know what you're talking about. On the other hand, uh, it must also be said that to say, oh, this is Star Wars or this feels like Star Wars and this isn't carries all of the weight of somebody saying, well, this is what real Americans do. Because based on who's talking to me, when they based on who is saying this is what real Americans do, I can deduce much of what they're saying. But who is saying that completely changes the definition of real Americans. Does does that make sense? Sure. Let me, let so let on me, the one sense, I totally get what I, I totally get what you're saying. On the other sense, saying something is Star Wars or isn't, it is both a meaningful phrase and completely meaningless. So let me let me clarify what I mean. There is a combination of factors deliberately put together that invokes the sense and feeling of a of a Star Wars movie that are deliberately put together, like a burrito, which is traditionally you know a a tortilla, some beans, some cheese, some onions, some meat. Uh, I'm basically talking about the the combo burrito from uh, from Taco Bell. Um, while that is good to do, they found the formula that makes people feel like Star Wars. The problem is, is James Bond always did that formula. It would still right now look and feel like the 1960s James Bond. And the fact of the matter is, is that what Mandalorian does so well, what Rogue One does so well is go, okay, you know what? We want people to eat burritos every day. We got to mix it up a little. It still has to be recognizable, but there are versions, you know, I love tacos and a traditional taco is a hard shell with some meat some cheese that is your traditional taco that is what a taco is but my favorite taco is from cafe rio and it is a pork barbecue taco it's very different than what i'm describing still clearly a a taco but it's even better and i think that necessarily star wars must evolve and a criticism could be lobbied at oh we know what the standard baseline star wars is and here we're going to give it to you um I think that there is a deliberateness to it that some people can say is not brave. Um, And I will even say it will be necessary to change if 20 movies from now, it all, it's like, here they are. They're in space. They're red and green lasers and John Williams score. There's an X-Wing fighting a TIE fighter. You know, if that's what they're doing 20 films from now, I will eventually go, I've had enough burritos. Thank you. Um, well, what I'm also so, saying, though, here is that the... So you're saying that, like, uh, to be a Star Wars film, it's got... Or, like, they people making burritos with the same ingredients and everything. Part of what I'm disagreeing with, and then I'll let this go, is the... Like, you said Last Jedi didn't... Like, the moments that you called out in Last Jedi that didn't feel like Star Wars. Like the, you know, the speeders in the, in the red and white sand. To me, that part of the movie felt so much like Star Wars. It was I was like, oh, this is a very clear callback back to Hoth. You've got these people in like little fighters that will you will then be able to sell toys of later on. Um, and they're going up against, they were going up against Imperial Walkers. I was like, this was a, now again, um, you, that might've not felt like Star Wars to you for different reasons. Um, but that's the thing for me is it's like, okay, it, to me, it's more useful to talk about the, what are the elements that really jumped out as opposed to whether those elements define the term Star Wars. All right. So, so to my, to my burrito analogy, that the the use of red in that scene is let's throw some avocado on the burrito. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was, and yes, there was a lot of Star Wars to it. Um, I feel like this movie and has been criticized for makes the safe decision. There's not going to be that splash of red this time. There's not going to be, we are going to do the, the baseline of we're, we're not going to stretch it beyond what everybody expects that Star Wars is going to look like. 
Um, now, I'm not saying that one is more Star Wars than the other, but I'm saying that there was a deliberate choice to make this the best simple burrito you could. Um, and I think this I is see the that. best. This is this is you know this is everything that the the episode four was just shot really 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 well. Um, it's like they wanted to to do the ultimate version of that as opposed to stretching it. And I think Star Wars necessarily. The other thing you know I'm talking about both sides of my mouth. What has made Star Wars great is that it is always stretched. This doesn't stretch the visual language of Star Wars at all. Um, would you just would you agree it. with the statement? And this is not a bad statement. Um, would you agree with the statement? This is a film that takes very little uh, or possibly no risks. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's a, a a worthwhile statement to make. I think that it has as a reaction to Last Jedi. It is a film that is trying to please everyone and some critics have said that's why it ultimately pleases no one i think that's untrue um but i think that it's a it's a film that is is saying you know what we're not going to this is the last one this is not the time to take risks this is the time this is a point of resolution you know and we don't want to do that you and i are both musicians and there's a point where that you've had so much dissonance it must to leave you with a pleasant feeling you know resolve back to to your your major tonic right and I think that this is, you know, a, de- <laughs> this a decision is, this, was made. This film was the definition of the major tonic. Very nice analogy. I yeah. like that. Yeah. This, yeah. This, this was not. Is, this was. Going... This was not a film with any seventh or sustained notes in it. Yeah. This film is like, like you know what? We have had you know upteen, umpteen iterations of Star Wars, uh, and and this is the film where it just it lays it all down. This is the chocolate sauce. This is the frosting. Enjoy it. Um, and so, yeah, I, for, for me, the, the, the I'm not going to say that, that that was a good idea for everything, but to do that with the look of this film, to have it say, hey, this film's going to give you the best version of New Hope you've ever seen without being able to be accused of aping a New Hope the way that, that Force Awakens did. Um, I think that, that that was a good thing. Mm. Okay, what now I do want to know, what was your number two? All right, my number two uh, was um, the moment in the desert with Rey, uh, Rey taking down Kylo Ren's TIE fighter. Uh, and again, this is one of those things, it's one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to trailers, is because the first teaser was just this scene. Um, and so help me God, if I had not seen this scene in the teaser... I would have been on the edge of my seat, all hair on the back of my neck, like raised with the tension of it. The film, the, the moment was fantastically shot. A great combination of silence plus the noise of the speeding Tie Fighter. The the moment of uh, of release when she leaps into the air and the, like it was just a magnificent one to two minutes of cinema. And they gave it all away in the trailer. It was, and you've heard me say this: if they had not revealed that Darth Maul had a second blade on his lightsaber in the trailer that moment in the film would have been so much more epic than it was uh so that's my second I, moment I, I i agree with you and i would say that that you know i understand that marketing has to always you know always walk the line between wanting to make sure that everyone is excited to come see the film and not giving away the great moments in the film the only way you make people excited to see the film is by showing them some great moments in the film um, and I would say that, you know, there, there was a, there was a time we could just go, here's Star Wars, here's some stuff. Um, and people just show up. But I think that there was a little bit of, you know, they, they needed to grab you right away because the, 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 the discussions around Star Wars, 
you know, when that first trailer came out, before that first trailer came out, was I'm done. I'm done with Star Wars. I'm giving up. And after Last Jedi, I am done with it. How many people have you heard say that? I'm done. I've given up on it. You know, they needed to grab you for moment one to go, but have you? Don't you want to see this happen? You know, I think there's, there's, there, there is an element of that. It's an unfortunate thing that, uh, that they need to try so hard to make the money, but that's their job. Um, I'm going to bounce off of yours uh, um, and make my number three uh, 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 an addition to yours. Um, okay. My number three is the Jedi stuff. There's the like, like I, I don't like that the Jedi could seemingly do anything, especially in episode one. They can run like the Flash. They can jump twenty stories. They can do everything if there's if the plot needs it. But darn it, the lightsabers were back to moving fluidly the way that they did in the prequels. Um, and I've had, a, I've liked the emotion and the brutality of the lightsaber battles in the first two. I think that that in uh, Force Awakens and Last Jedi, I have enjoyed you know how they're basically just swinging these swords each other, trying as hard as they can to kill each other. But the lightsaber battle, in my opinion, in Force Awakens, kind of sucked. It was visually good, but the fight itself wasn't that cool lightsaber stuff. And in, in Last Jedi, they didn't fight each other. They fought other people. But I got excited every time there was a little lightsaber twirl. Um, this time they're kind of back to the Anakin and Obi one. They are twirling it behind their back. They're twirling it around a bunch. They're doing flips over the. I I like that stuff. I like to watch them be accomplished Jedi themselves. Um, and I think the entire movie could suck, and I would still pay the price of admission to watch them stop the lightsaber with the Force. Was awesome. Just it was that space moment where I'm like, oh, she's best. using the Force to stop the lightsaber. Oh my gosh. Um. Like, like that, that was, I loved just, you know, her floating and then doing a little backflip to land and, and doing force healing and flipping around and cool lightsaber stuff. Um, I, I loved watching the Jedi be cool and the Sith be cool Jedi and Sith again. Um, because that's, that's something I really liked from the prequels. This was my favorite thing about the prequels. The fact that they brought that forward into this, I really enjoyed. Your third. Cool. Uh, okay. I will jump off that one first. I completely agree with that. Um, I will jump in and say one of the things I enjoyed the most was not just the Jedi stuff, but also the Sith stuff. Uh, and the Sith are, the word Sith was never mentioned in the original trilogies. It's important to, to make mention of that. Uh, it really became something that was part of the extended universe, uh, but I think was certainly in Lucas's original material because it certainly was, uh, uh, they certainly did mention it in the prequels. Um, but for going on 20 years now, because that's when the prequels came out, oh my God, uh, when whenever somebody says the Sith or they talk about, you know, the old days, you know, the days before the Old Republic when the Sith Lords ruled, um, there was always, it's not like there was an image in my mind. The best I could describe it is there's not an image in my mind of what the Sith were, but there was just this vague sense, uh, you know, a menace to it. Um, and for a while, there have been attempts to kind of codify what the Sith were and capture that sense of, well, in much the same way that uh, when you reveal the monster, when the monster comes into the light, it is almost never as scary as when it was in the shadow. When the Sith were just this hidden ancient empire talked of in hushed terms, that's when they had the most foreboding and menace. And then when they tried to show Sith elements, um, like what they did with uh, some of the like Knights of the Old Republic, uh, the game, uh, things like that, it it explained lore, but it but it also made things feel a little bit less menacing. Whereas this, the Sith Temple, everything on Axagol, the you know the the 
auditorium or coliseum of all these people in cloaked robes that you never actually saw. I thought that uh, Abrams took the sense and vague foreboding that was in my mind and finally gave it an image that I could look at and say, yes, that's it. That's what's been you know, lurking at the back of my mind for 20 years. Sort of like when the Orokai showed up on, on Lord of the Rings, you're like, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. These guys are as, as bad as I thought they were going to be. Um, uh, all right. So I'm going to bounce off that for my number four. Um, a criticism made of the film was, oh no, more Palpatine. Can I tell you something? If we got Star Wars episode 10, Palpatine reads stereo instructions. I will, I will watch the hell out of that. Um, Ian McDermott always just seems so happy to be there. Like he's <laughs> a, I feel like Ian McDermott is an actor who's just like, I can't believe I'm in Star Wars. I always feel that. I always get the the sense that he's just like, this is so much fun. And I just, you know, I, I said this on Trek Off, and I'll do the joke here too, but the longest movie in the world would be a one-act play starring Ian McDermott and... Uh, Ian McDermott and um, oh my gosh what's his name who played Snape um, why is it why can't oh Alan Rickman right Alan Rickman the two of them do that I've come to your store to buy this toilet paper you've come to the I... store to buy my toilet yeah something like that paper yes you ha- I mean it's just like 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 he just every word he speaks but I love it I love it I love it. everything is it now feel the power of the Sith. I just love it. I love the Emperor and and his performance of it. I think it's as iconic as Vader. And I love him in this film. I love that he's there. Um, is it doesn't make any sense he's there? No, we'll talk about that briefly. But like, I am happy every time he's on the screen. And he is scary to start with. And the fact that when he finally goes back into basically episode three Palpatine, he's back to being like kind of like doing the laugh. Ha 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 ha. Like, yes, man, he loves it. He loves it. Although I can never quite forget Robot Chicken Palpatine, who is maybe my favorite Palpatine. Um, but I digress. What's your number four? Uh let's see. Um I loved the way I loved how they landed Ben's arc. Uh I've really enjoyed Kylo Ren as a character. He certainly is not as, like, just scary villainous as Vader was. Certainly not as much as Palpatine. And... Uh, I've heard people say in both positive and negative ways, he's he's not Vader. He's the whiny kid who just always wanted to be Vader, uh, which, of course, makes him less scary, but also made him very interesting as a character, like uh, his conflicted decisions and uh, the fact that he had various levels to him. And so going into it, I was not 100 percent sure if they were going to give him a redemption arc. Um, I feel like a redemption arc is kind of intrinsic to what the original Star Wars meant. Um, but uh, on the other hand, well, I guess probably about 20 minutes into the film, if I'd stopped and said, well, this is so much like the original Star Wars that of course he's going to have a redemption arc because J.J. Abrams isn't going to keep everything else the same and then diverge from that. Uh, but I loved I loved the fact that it was Leia who got through to him initially. Um, and also I thought, wow, what a, I will just say on a tangent, what an amazing way to take a, not just a, an actual personal tragedy with Carrie Fisher's passing, but also a real artistic oh god um, when you don't have access to the actor who plays this very crucial character anymore um, and way to do that in a way way to bring that character in with the materials that you have and 100% land that character's arc Leia was still a profoundly influential
essential character in this film, and I loved that. Uh, so, yes, her getting through to Ben, uh, certainly the, the Harrison Ford, uh, the Han Solo moment, uh, and I loved watching... I didn't realize how much I was going to love watching Kylo Ren and Rey fight side by side again until I saw it. And then I remembered, oh yeah, that was one of my favorite moments of Last Jedi as well. Yeah, I think that um, it, it helps that Adam Driver might be one of the best actors working today. Mm -hmm. um, he is able to bring so much. Um, I think that, again, after Lucas kind of blew it with his Romeo and Juliet story, uh, this really felt like Romeo and Juliet. Like they yeah. are, they, 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 and, and the way that it ends... It absolutely cribs from the end of uh, the the end of the Leonardo DiCaprio Romeo and Juliet. It's the same scene, but damn, mm. it's, it's that's the that, that's the best improvement on Shakespeare that I have ever seen. Is the decision to have them both be awake at the same time? Oh yeah, um, there, I, now, I can't. I, I now feel I like I can't direct that like film. I can't direct that play any other way now. Yeah. Um. Uh. So I think that that is that like, and you improved on Shakespeare. How'd you do that? Um, so I think it's Baz Luhrmann. I think who did it. So, so for the, for the same reason, I think that, that answer. Well. All right. So my number five, um, is it cheesy? Absolutely. But hearing the voice of, of all the Jedi, um, that was literally my number five Hayden Christensen's. Oh, cool. We can share it. Um, I love that Ahsoka's in there and Kanan's in there. I love they got the Qui-Gon Jinn's in there. They have a couple of other Jedi from the Clone Wars. I kind of wish they hadn't included. I would have just, you know, give me more Hayden, you know, give me, but I'm, uh, I was just down to hear like, oh my gosh, it's Hayden Christensen. They actually got him. He actually did it. That's so cool. That's like it. I was goosebumps. Like it, it was crazy how much I liked that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, uh, well, it's funny you say that like the Hayden, I didn't notice, I didn't notice Hayden. I mean, I knew he was obviously in there, uh, but for me, it was the, the ones that meant the most to me was that the ancillary or the, the Jedi who were not crucial to the, the nine episode arc, uh, like Kanan Jarrus, like, uh, um, like Ahsoka, especially Ahsoka. Like I actually, when I got home from the theater, I went to IMDb and looked up the voices because I didn't hear all of them, but I wanted to see which ones they included. And right, I so love here that. It is. I felt um, it was such a great way of. I thought it was such a great way of honoring the entire uh, the entire work of Star Wars, as well as everyone who's contributed to the story, not just the main films. So here it is. Obi Wan says, "These are your final steps, Ray. Rise and take them." Anakin, Ray, a. Ahsoka, Ray, Kanan, Ray, Anakin, bring back the balance, Ray, as I did. Luminara, find the light, Ray. Kanan, you are not alone, Ray. Yoda, alone never you have been. Qui-Gon, every Jedi who ever lived lives in you now. Anakin, the Force surrounds you, Ray. Ayla, let it guide you. Ahsoka, as it guided us. Mace, feel the Force flowing through you, Ray. Kanan, let it lift you. Adigala, Rise, Ray. Qui-Gon, we stand behind you, Ray. Old Obi-Wan, Ray. Yoda, Yoda, rise in the Force. Kanan, in the heart of the Jedi lies her strength. Obi-Wan, rise. Qui-Gon, rise. Luke, Ray, the Force will be with you always. Just, I get goosebumps you just even reading that off. It's perfect. I know. It's it's pretty it's pretty darn cool. Alright, so um, really briefly, I don't want to take more than like 10 minutes to do this, but we do need to address um, what the complaints are about the film. Whether or not Which they are bothered valid. you. Yeah. Yeah, I feel um, like the, and, and, please. before we get into it, it is one of those because I think we've both we have both resolved to enjoy this film, damn it, uh, which is slightly different than saying, oh, this was an amazing, perfect film. It's like, nope, I am making the choice to enjoy this. And it is also completely reasonable for somebody to say, nope, I did not enjoy this film for the reasons we're going to be discussing. Sure. Um, the number one complaint about this film is that instead of being brave at all, this film is a deliberate bounce back against 
against The Last Jedi, that this film deliberately tries to discount The Last Jedi. And I agree. Um, I feel like there are deliberate shades thrown at uh, at Ryan Johnson. I feel like for mm-hmm. Kylo to go, they, they, they you're nobody because they wanted you to be nobody. That's not what he was saying. That's not what Last he was Jedi. saying. I'm and sorry. we know that. That uh, um, uh, for Luke to catch the, the the lightsaber and goes a Jedi's weapon should be treated with more respect. Okay, yo, yeah. Um, I, the fact that, that that none of the none of the problems that plagued everybody at the end of the Last Jedi were a problem anymore, except maybe you know there's like three minutes of are they going to join and help us? Um, and other than that, none of the problems of the Last Jedi uh, uh, move into this. Um, the fact that this was such a course correction for fans of the Last Jedi. Um, that is a real problem and it does spark a feeling of discontinuity. I mean, when Luke catches the lightsaber, I'm like, yay, Luke catches the lightsaber. But immediately I'm like, wow, that that's a bit of a slam against Last Jedi. My defense against that might be, I felt that way watching The Last Jedi. I guess, like, but there was I a difference there. Like the, I, and this is one of those things where it's like, I might not have felt this way as strongly about the third one had it not been that suddenly there was this deluge of articles about like, oh, you know, J.J. Abrams and other people, you know, finally reveal what they actually thought of Last Jedi. Like, um... Last Jedi, look, you can absolutely make a case that uh, Ryan Johnson took it in a vastly different direction than J.J. Abrams was intending. However, in the, at least for me, watching Last Jedi, even if I was thinking, oh, that was a different choice, um, I couldn't envision somebody sitting down, or I couldn't envision Ryan Johnson or whoever sitting down and saying, you know what, I'm going to deliberately do this uh, do this differently because screw J.J. Abrams in the first film. There were a couple times, like the a Jedi because you treat his weapon with more respect and things like that, that in this one, it felt more like somebody was deliberately making a choice to say, screw you, Last Jedi. Now, again, that might have been the intention. That might not have been. And I might not have thought that uh, had I just been living in the films and not known anything about sort of the whole thing that's happened in the past two years surrounding the films. Yeah, I think, I mean, that I think that that's true. I think the fact that we know that we and we have the meta knowledge between, I think that ultimately this is is a problem. The Last Jedi making all those left turns is a problem. This turning back right is a problem. It's not Ryan Johnson's fault. Um, he made a bad choice to deliberately subvert. I think it's not. Uh, it's not J.J. Abrams' fault for wanting to maybe overcourse correct on the way back. I laid the I laid the blame for this problem at Kathleen Kennedy for not for for her approach to Star Wars, which while it has elicited very interesting Star Wars films. Her approach has been, I'm just going to give the next film to interesting people, see what they do, maybe fire them and give it to somebody else and see what they do. Um, the thing about when Lucas ran Lucasfilm, Lucas was the storyteller. He was the writer. He was he had all of Star Wars in mind, in his mind. And whether his ideas were good or bad, they were all his. He saw mm. a continuity between everything. Whereas if you give everybody just their chance to put their stamp on it, everybody wants to put their stamp on it. And I stand by the fact that there should have been a Bible as to a beginning, middle, and end of this series so that everybody knew which direction they were going. Here are the yeah, points the fact you have that to they, hit. The fact that they started a trilogy knowing that they were going to be making a trilogy, but not knowing how that trilogy was going to end, that's, uh, that's, that is very dangerous storytelling. Yeah, and look, Lucas didn't know where his trilogy was going to end, but 
he was being loyal to his own ideas even as he changed them by getting very talented filmmakers i don't want to spend my time slamming giant ryan johnson he's got a movie out called knives out that's in theaters right now look at the reviews for that thing everybody loves this film he is a talented talented filmmaker but they were told he was told Go take Star Wars, see what you can do with it. I want to see by the, you know, and I understand the impulse. I don't think it was a good impulse. I think it, it, like, there was, you know, for all the problems I have with Peter Jackson's handling of the Hobbit movies, the one reason that I'm still glad that he did it instead of someone else, they're not great, but they still feel like they're part of Lord of the Rings. Part of the same world. And, 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 and you needed to have a clear beginning, middle, and end. So I think that. I, I'm going to split the difference on into who's to blame for that. Ultimately, it's not a deal breaker for me when it comes to this film because I I like it. Let me give you something, uh, I, I, another big problem I have. Ray being a Palpatine has been really complained about because there are people who really loved that Last Jedi said anyone can be yeah. a Jedi. Anyone yeah. can use the Force. It's not your blood that does it. It's it's you know it's like a martial art. If you go and work at it, you could be a Jedi. And mm-hmm. and it seemed like Ryan Johnson. It doesn't seem like Ryan Johnson has said this in interviews. My point was when I was a little boy, I dreamed that if if Obi Wan found me, I could learn the Force. And I feel yeah. like it became too much about no, you have to be chosen by blood. And I wanted to bring it back to anyone could be a Jedi. And the fact that there are people who really loved that idea, and then to have Ray be a Palpatine, they feel like not only undercuts Ryan Johnson's choice, but this good feeling they got at everyone being a Jedi. That that the theme brought to you by Broom Boy at the end of of Last Jedi is undone by yeah. Ray being a Palpatine. Um, it's interesting. What's your thought there on is, that? And then I'll give you mine. There is possibly no more concept more central to the to the very core of what a myth is than the idea of a chosen one, a savior who has been selected by destiny to be the hero that uh, that saves the community or the nation or the world. Like that is every, just about every culture in the world. Their myth stories, all their great stories that. The idea of one chosen one. It's its endemic. It's everywhere. And yet, in reality, and we're realizing this more and more, um, great change is not made by somebody who was chosen by fate. It's made by a bunch of people who were there at the right time, got together and said, I'm going to do something. Uh, you know, history in reality is made by broom boys. But at the same time, you know, we've got 10,000 years of human civilization, all of them telling a story that revolves around a chosen in one character. Um, so I agree with you in that uh, I Ray being a Palpatine would not have bothered me if Last Jedi hadn't raised the issue of well maybe you know maybe there's a, maybe there's another way to tell this story. Uh, like Star Wars doesn't need the Chosen One concept to work. They could have told a very good story that still felt like Star Wars without having a Chosen One character. Um, so I'm I'm a very mixed uh, I'm of mixed opinions about that particular thing. Yeah, I I mean I. I see that um, that the Chosen One story has been played out at this point. You know, you've had a Matrix trilogy, you've had two trilogies about Chosen One so far within Star Wars, um, and Ryan Johnson was like, "No, no, anyone can be." But the thing is, is that I've seen Force Awakens lots more than I've seen Last Jedi, and the Force Awakens keeps saying, "Who's the girl? Who's the girl? Who is she? What is she? Who is this girl? Who is she? Who is she?" And when the answer to that is no one, you know, my my wife likes to. 
joke about how her her father used to go hey you want to go out to friendlies and they'd all go yay and he'd go well we can't um and i've always said that's not the way that you do that if you're going to do something you tell someone i've got some bad news what's your bad news i got a raise you always say it's gonna be nothing and then you say it's something you don't say hey here comes something and then you open the box and there's nothing inside um Mm -hmm. i think that the fact is i really wanted ray to be someone so the fact that they made her someone doesn't bother me even though i understand that that means that not everyone can be a super powerful Jedi. You know, Finn was feeling the force and there are other people being trained. And I feel mm. like there is a reality to the idea that, you know what? Someone's just, some people are just going to be better at football than other people. Anybody can pick up a football and play. Some people are going to be really good. That doesn't mean you can't all play. Um, mm-hmm. oh, I that's think a nice way of looking and Palpatine, at it. Uh, and specifically making that, that the, the, the grandson of Skywalker and the granddaughter of Palpatine on opposite sides, but the same. I think that there's a, there's a cohesion to that and a poetry to that that I really, really like. Oh, I like that. Um, um, third major the, criticism. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, oh, no, you go ahead with your major criticism. The third major, major criticism is, is that the film takes no risks. And even where it take, takes risks, it says, no, just kidding. I said that in my plot synopsis. The fact that they, a big kill Chewy moment. Aha, no, just kidding. A big kill 3PO moment. Aha, just kidding. Oh, Palpatine has electrocuted the entire fleet, but they're better in two minutes. Uh, oh, Finn's going to sacrifice himself again. No, 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 we're going to do it. There has been a criticism lobbied that the film keeps doing haha gonna kill someone fake outs my take i'll give it first is that yeah they did do it too much i would have forgiven one but then doing it again with 3po and doing it again with finn mm-hmm. at the end you already were did it once in the last jedi with finn um yes you can see the second transport when Chewie's being loaded on the one um but it does you know one thing that joss whedon did so well in serenity is before he had basically a fake death of every spoilers for serenity Every character in the end of Serenity gets a fake death, gets a moment they get hit by a bullet and everything goes, and you're like, oh no, they're dead. They did that. But mm-hmm. before they did any of that, they actually killed a main character and hurt you. And then you didn't really mind that everybody else got a fake death. The fact that because everyone gets the a moment, fake death you were and no convinced one... He was, in the moment, you were convinced he was killing everyone off. Yeah. Um, the fact that they're like, Chewie's dead, and I tears were in my eyes that Chewie was dead, and I was relieved he was alive. But the second time I saw it, I was like... Uh, well, that's a bit of a fake out. It's a little cheap, yeah. but I'll go with it. Well, and like then this thing again, that could tears have had, were in my eyes. This thing that could have had tremendous consequences suddenly was just like, ah, the consequences actually weren't that bad. Yeah, I'm not saying that they should have killed Chewbacca. I'm not saying they should have killed anyone. They made it through Return of the Jedi without killing any of the main people. They made it through... Uh, except for Vader. They made it through the entire trilogy without killing any of the main people. I don't think you needed to have a major character death at the end. I love the idea that I don't have to walk out of the theater sad. I mean, the, the Han's death still bothers me in Force Awakens. I'm glad I don't have to walk out of the theater depressed that they've, you know, that they had to have, you know, these people have been fighting so hard and one of them just doesn't get to see the happy ending. I'm glad that they all survive. I'm not mad at that. Um, I just feel like like the fake outs were a little much. Um, but you know, again, it's it's a nitpick. I, I feel at this point. Your your thoughts? Um, yeah, no, I agree with you on that, and I think that that ties into one of my major criticisms, which is very story based. Um, there was in an ideal plot uh, when you are doing plot craftsmanship, uh, everything there need to be consequences to actions, um, and the actions that you take should move the story forward. Um, it is a uh, you know. We always talk about um, 
you know, one of the greatest crimes of Alien 3 was that it completely negates everything that was done in Alien 2 by immediately killing off the kid. Um, in this, there was a lot, like, the Wayfinder ended up being meaningless because, or the Wayfinder that they were looking for, because Kylo Ren destroyed it, so she just used the one that was on his ship. All The entire search for that Wayfinder ended in a complete and total dead end. Um, also, in the same way, the whole thing of, oh my gosh, we've got a trans Translate the knife, um, which means that we've got to do a memory wipe of 3PO. Um, if I, I forget exactly how it worked out, but then 3PO translates it. They get, but then they also get the same information from somewhere else. Like there was a lot of stuff that they did. Um, in the plot of this that either they didn't need to do or that didn't actually really go anywhere. Uh, so that would be my main thing with that. I, so talking what you were saying before, like 3PO looking around and saying, I, you know, I just want to take one last look at my friends. Oh my God, um, how incredibly powerful that is. But that got... Um, undercut in two ways. First, the fact that suddenly he goes back and R2 just sort of boots him up and it's just like he it's like he went on a 48-hour bender and can't remember of anything of that, but that's it. Uh, so that's the first way. And then the second way is they did a memory wipe for him that they actually didn't need to do in order to get to where they were going. You know, I'm a little more forgiving of that. I mean, they, you know, the 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 most, the, the biggest example of this is, of course, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark where everything would have turned out exactly the same had Indiana Jones never showed up oh know, yeah that's a good that, point that ultimately at the end like seriously the nazis would have gotten the ark they would have looked in it they would have died end of story he didn't need to literally do anything that he did um and i think it's a great comparison because yeah this film and i talked about this on track off too that 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 uh, actually you know what um i want to do this because we there the we hit on the criticisms there are there are more there are you know oh there, there's you know, the one more that i end. have there to are get things to. to nitpick there's um, um but uh, sure so uh and this is just a, because I before we go into what you're talking about, we we need to talk about Rose um, because that is one where and again, I can't speak to the intention behind what the people making the movie did. I can't speak to. The I can. I'm going to let you say what you need to say, but I know I have. No, I, no, I, I think. Can, and so and look, I know the reason that they gave and I'm pretty sure. And like, I, it's not I don't disbelieve them. I don't think they're lying to us. But the fact remains that this was my ex- what I experienced was something very different, which is that. Um, both the character and the actress got horrifically um, just undersold, or not undersold, but you had a character who was major to the second one, who, you know, who's major to the second film, essentially very clearly, not only was she relegated to the sidelines, but there were new female characters introduced um, that, and the thematically, all the things that those new characters did could have been achieved by a character you already had. Uh, it is interesting that Finn has fallen in love with a different woman in every single movie of this trilogy. And, like, so I'll let you talk about the, the reason why Rose was sidelined. And again, it might have just been an unfortunate situation, but the fact is the unfortunate situation read to me uh, and ended up with me feeling like there was a tremendous disservice done to the character. All right, so this is this is my thought, um, my two thoughts about it. One, Kelly Marie Tran uh, did her very best and did a pretty good job in Last Jedi. I don't think that she gave an Oscar-winning performance. I think she gave a, a, a pretty good performance in my least favorite part of the entire new trilogy. Um, 
she did talk about a, a scene that ultimately has no meaning the canto bite sequence in last jedi i hate it um and and she does a pretty good job at everything that she does in the second film um but ultimately i feel like her story is sort of told in the in the second film yoda was a huge part of uh of empire strikes back who gets just a little scene in uh in return of the jedi um, it happens all the time that a character shows up for one part of a trilogy and then doesn't have too much to do. You know, Treebeard is barely doing anything in um, in Return of the King in the movies. Um, characters do show up for one part of a trilogy and then just make sort of a, you know, a, a, here's a little appearance for you. Um, Jar Jar did that. And I don't want to compare her to Jar Jar, but at the time the movie came out, people really didn't like the character. Now, there's another kind of person who didn't like the character because she was an Asian woman. And there are people who are terrible to Kelly Marie Tran. And there's a part of you that wants, or part of me rather, that wants, because they were so bad to her, let's give her some good stuff to do here. Because people were so bad to her. She was not remarkable in The Last Jedi. She was pretty good. But you do kind of want to go to the haters. You know what? You hate her so much. Let's really give her a chance to shine here. Um, And so I did not miss her in this film because... I didn't, um, outside of the meta knowledge that people were cruel to her and my desire for that reason for me to want to see more of her, had she been in the second film and there had been no controversy, her little role in this film wouldn't have bothered me one iota. Um, Mm. It was the controversy around what happened to her that made me feel like, oh, I wish she was in this film more. And also because Asian characters don't get enough, um, enough opportunities to do cool stuff in films. Um, and I, and I think that's something that does need to be course corrected, um, in, in filmmaking, because, you know, I have a lot of Asian American friends who've said, you know what, I, I don't even go out to audition for roles because I know it's just not going to be for me because nobody's going to cast me for this. Um, and I think that's something that needs to, you know, more diversity is always better than less diversity. That being said, my understanding of what her role was in the film is she was supposed to be having very meaningful stuff with, um, with Leia and Leia, you know, they talked about in the script how Leia was the heart of this film and Leia was going to have a lot to do. Um, and the production schedule for this film was, was, you know, three months shorter. And if you think about it, most films have, a, have an entire production schedule of three months. And this film was three months shorter than the other films got an opportunity to be. And that being the case, they found, and I know this happens, I, I'm, the film I'm working on right now, there are great moments that for techno, technical reasons, I'm cutting out of the film that I'm editing right now because it was great, everything about it's great, but there's a light in the shot or something doesn't work out. When you have you know, something as complicated as bringing Carrie Fisher back to life, she died before Last Jedi came out. Um, crafting this performance out of what she had, you put it together and you go, oh, this should work. And you go, ah, this isn't working as well as I thought it was. The CGI is not quite matching. It's not quite working. And eventually you go, we have to make our deadline. I could see how that was the most difficult thing that they had to try and accomplish. And their rules were very clear. You can't just do a CGI Carrie Fisher. Everybody has said that's bad. We've made a decision. That's not what we're doing. So now that that's out there, if her scenes were all supposed to be with Carrie Fisher and you notice the scenes she has are with Carrie Fisher... I think it holds weight. I think it holds weight. It's an unfortunate outcome, but I, 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 for her sake, I wish more. She had gotten more. For the sake of of more diversity, I wish she had gotten more. I don't think that the film misses her all that much, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so there's more criticism that we could lobby and then try and refute. But in uh, in the effort to make our podcast not longer than the film itself. 
Um, uh, and where I think we're going to refute a lot of the criticisms and what we say right now. Um, uh, on a scale of one to five, lightsabers transported awesomely through the force. Uh, what do you say about Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker? You know what I'm going to say about Star Wars Rise of Skywalker is, yeah, you know what? 4.5. For no other reason than because Star Wars, damn it. And sometimes that's all the reason that you need when you're watching something you enjoy. I'm done. Okay. Um, I'm going to be somewhat more vociferous. Uh, <laughs> I, that, I was counting. I was counting on that fact because, again, this is <laughs> it works if one person says I'm going to make an interesting <laughs> statement and not talk about this film in a review <laughs> in a podcast where we're reviewing the film. Thanks, uh, Ryan Johnson, it. It Arthur. Very interesting. Uh, um, I will say this: uh, th- this film has been accused of fan service um, and and just being a bunch of fan service. And I want to say, you know what? That's okay. There's nothing wrong. Was saying, mm-hmm. hey, everybody, I'm going to give you everything you want. You don't want every holiday to be Christmas morning. But there's nothing wrong with Christmas morning. There's nothing wrong with a big, giant, heaping helping of, yeah, everything. It's, it's, it's you know, th- there's nothing wrong with there being a Frank Capra-esque, you know, everything turns out exactly the way you always thought it would. This film never mm-hmm. surprised me once, except in like little moments like stopping the lightsaber, but never plot-wise, story why surprised me once and you know what i'm fine with that it's the end it's the end of the song it's the it's the victory lap and i want to see them take their victory lap i am having such a good time can i tell you something about surprises i had a better time watching every other star wars film except for episode two than this one the first time i saw the movie because there are twists and turns and surprise last shot i i'm on the edge of my seat the entire time and i was never on the edge of my seat in this film but you know what happens after the first time you see a film you know all the surprises and what is star wars but something that you watch over and over and over again for the rest of your life because that's what star wars is for me and last jedi i don't watch because it is you know we it's we've talked about the the you know m night Shyamalan and, and i think maybe it's, it, we've talked about it a little bit in this podcast or back in pop off the fetishes the, the fetishization of the twists the twists and the character deaths the impactful moments mm-hmm. and and how you fetishize wanting that in a film and what happened to just a good old-fashioned romp this is the first film since a new hope that isn't just based on star wars and i said this on track off a new hope was based on old movie serials where you sat and you watched flash gordon go from adventure to adventure to adventure and every star wars movie since a new hope has been based on star wars and not mm-hmm. that it's been based on the story. It's just built on the story, built on the story. This is the first one that said, "Hey, what if we just go from planet to planet, trying to do another cool little thing? That when it's done, we're moving on to the next story, old serials style." And I w- was grinning through the first half of the film, smiling broadly through the second. Uh, this film does uh, does yeah, it makes mistakes. Yeah, it's imperfect. It's really comparable to Return of the Jedi in that way. But is it is just like it's a film that isn't afraid to just have a scene with people hugging because yeah, have a scene with people hugging. Cut to the Ewoks looking up and going yeah, do it. Have Wedge Antilles show up for one. Get that actor back, the guy who played Wedge Antilles' uncle of Ewan McGregor, by the way. 
to go, good shot, Ooh. Lando. And that's it. Do it. I don't care. And do it. Throw it all Because you can go, hey, it's Wedge. Yeah, do it. That's There's nothing wrong with doing that. You don't want to do it every movie. If the next five Star Wars movies did this, I'd have a problem with it. But this, at the end, the fact that the ending doesn't feel like a funeral, the fact that the ending doesn't feel like a horror movie, the fact that the ending doesn't feel like it needs to twist and turn, the twist and turns are over. Have you ever watched... Or played a game where you race? Have you ever played Mario Kart? Like, you do twists and turns, twists and turns, twists and turns, but then there's a stretch at the very end where you're just pedal to the metal, zooming into it. And that's what this felt like. It felt like that stretch at the end where where you're just, you know, your foot's all the way down the pedal, your arms are in the air, you're like, I got this. It's that moment when the runner crosses the finish line, his arms are in the air, and he's like, yeah! And the film is unabashedly joyful in doing that. And so, yeah, it's got flaws. But ladies and gentlemen, five lightsabers for the rise of Skywalker. Ooh, very nice. Um, very it nice. is not. Here, I think I can. Su- I think I can sum up what both of us have thought of with this film. Uh, I, I think. Would you agree, sir, that this film is proof that sometimes, sometimes it is completely okay to take no risks and just do what works. Yeah, I think or what that, you know I, works. I think you can't do that all the time. I want to be clear. This film is, that is not very a rare meal. that you could do that, actually. But yeah, th- this film is not satisfying in the way that a deep film is. This film is an ice cream cone. There's nothing wrong with a good ice cream cone after a meal. There's no good, no problem mm-hmm. with ending ending the meal with a giant piece of cake. And and this film is exactly it's fan service, absolutely, because it's exactly what I wanted it to be. Um, I don't want all my Star Wars to be like this, but to end the saga on an up note, yeah, yeah, nobody's you know, th- th- nobody's on fire at the end of this. Th- like at the end of Return of the Jedi, Darth Vader's I... on fire. At the end of this of Revenge of the Sith, Darth Vader's on fire again. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I can we I do like I think that's Darth a wonderful Vader phrase that you that's a wonderful phrase that you hit on. Then you don't want all of Star Wars to be like this, but you did want this Star Wars to be like this. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm going to see it yeah. again, and 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 if I had more time, I'd probably see it the seven eight times I used to go out to see Star Wars movies. But I I could watch it now, and I could watch it immediately after again. This film um does not challenge me. I don't always need to be challenged. Sometimes I just need to smile. Mm-hmm. So that's my take on Star Wars: yeah. Rise of Skywalker. Guys, thanks for sticking with us. Thanks thanks for 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 sticking with us through all the delays. Watchmen is next. Man of Steel after that. Batman v Superman after that. We've got a lot of DC EU coming. A lot of Zack Snyder to talk about. Um, lots of superhero stuff coming. Um, and we're going to try and do it with a little bit more regularity. But Totally Super is alive and well. And we thank you for being part of this. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And hey there, true believers. The Force will be with you. Always. That is exactly what I was going to say. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not safe for work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Enlight Entertainment. 